You're listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. I just want to uh, welcome those that are watching online. So great to have you. Uh, those in the room, why don't you give me a give me a wave? I know it's like we're not like hanging out and socializing and hugging, but um, that's our way of giving the wave, and uh, and so that's what we can do. So we're doing it, and uh, it is amazing to be here, and uh, just blessed to be with you. And we're in December; Christmas is coming soon, and um, I know there's a lot going on in the world, and uh, what a year! I don't think there's been a year that has impacted every person on the planet like this year. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to believe the year's over. Uh, it feels like the year's coming to an end. Uh, what happened to 2020? <laughs> Can we have it back, please? Um, it feels a little like that. But there's also some stuff that God has done, and, and I believe we'll talk about this year for generations. We'll talk about this year in history books. And I, and I believe God wants to do something significant tonight. I believe that our mandate as a ministry, our mandate as people, is to rise. That's why we're here, to rise up, to be who God's called us to be, to arise, to be people that rise up, to be the church that rises up. And, and I remember in 2008 when a group of us, and Karis was there, and there was a team, our lead team, and we, we just had this idea to go into this theater downtown Edmonton and believe that there could be a resurgence, a rising again, a renewal, a restoration of use, a revival. And, and it's that rising again. And, um, you know, Ezekiel in that valley of dry bones, he was set in the bones to speak life over the dryness, life over the impossible, to call impossible to be possible. And, um, and, and I believe we're here tonight, and um, we gather tonight, not just for a service, but I believe there's something that he wants to remind each one of us that there's a rising to happen in each one of us. That whether we feel like we're in a heap of ashes or it's really hard or wherever you're at in the journey in 2020, there's a rising again. And I just look back at what God had planted years ago in 2008 to say, you're going to be a ministry that believes for a rising again. And in 2020, we're here where the world needs a rising again. And I just believe that God's going to do something incredible. You know, I was reading and somebody um, sent me a post on, on Facebook and it was about Kelowna newspaper in, 20, uh, in 1918. And uh, if you could put that on the screen, I think I have a slide of it. And in 1918, 98 years ago, at the end of World War I, uh, the slide before this actually, uh, there's a newspaper, yeah, the perfect. That was in the Kelowna newspaper. And in 1918, there was the Spanish flu. And the Spanish flu happened right on the heels of World War I. Parades uh, throughout the states had to be halted or stopped. or There was problems because they wanted to celebrate that the war was over. And yet they couldn't because there was a Spanish flu. Churches closed. Um, picture, picture halls closed. I don't even know what that is. Uh, pool rooms closed. All these places of amusement closed. And, and this is an example of Kelowna in 1918. But, but I'm, I'm reminded of after this happened, after the Spanish flu came through and churches closed, uh, the church rose. And the church rose in an incredible strength because the church wasn't confined to just a, a place. It was people. 
They didn't even have streaming. They couldn't watch it on the book of the face like people are tonight or on the tube of the U or whatever. I know that's so dad joke. Sorry, Karis. But they, they couldn't watch it on that. And yet the church survived. It didn't just survive, it rose. And in 1923, five years after that moment, C.S. Price came to Edmonton and preached, and 12,000 people gathered in arena to hear the gospel. That was five years after the Spanish flu. And so when we say, well, it might never be like it was before, and we might never be in people, God, that history has a, a pattern of repeating itself. And I just want to encourage you with that because that encouraged me to say the world's been through something like this before. In 1918, Kelowna went through that. Edmonton went through that. Canada went through that. And yet the, the church arose. And in, in the early 1900s, the church rose to incredible strengths after the Spanish flu. So I believe that God's getting ready to do an incredible resurgence in our land. I believe that there's a move of God. I believe it's a spirit of God to, to rise up, to rise inside each one of us and say there's gold in you, there's hope in you, there's purpose in you. It's time to step into it. It's time to arise and be the church, not just a church in a building or the church that's known as, oh yeah, I just go there on Sunday, but a church 365 days of the year, a people that have a power of God in them that it, it, it can't be uh, second-guessed. And I believe that God wants to do that. I believe, you know, and I want to speak tonight about arising again, and we rise by lifting others. You know, a pastor during 1918, he said this, God knows what he's doing. His work is not going to suffer. It will rather be a help to, help to it in the end. Out of it, I believe great good is coming. All the churches as well as the community at large are going to be stronger and better for this season of distress through which we have been passing. That's incredible. And um, we will rise. I want to speak to every person Watching tonight, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in every single one of us that say yes to him. It's that same power. It's the same resurrection power. It's the same power of rising again. It, it, it's that calls us past the impossibility, past the doubt, past the fear, past the guilt, past the shame, past the voices of lies in our head. It's that same spirit. And a resurgence were made to rise. You know, I think of Psalm 3. He's the lifter of my head, the Bible says. Psalm 1848. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Psalm 27. Now my head will be lifted up above all my enemies. Um, David said in Psalm 40 verse 2, uh, he lifted, he brought me out of a pit. Everybody say pit. He brought me out of a pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making footsteps, footsteps firm. How many, how many know we need footsteps firm? He does that. Ezekiel Job said this, those who mourn, those who are lowly are lifted to safety. Ezekiel 2, and he spoke to me, and the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking. Ezekiel 3, the Spirit lifted me. Ezekiel goes on to, the, on to say, the Spirit lifted me, and the Spirit brought me out. Psalm 113, he is the lifter of the needy from the ash heap. 
We are made to rise. We, everyone in this room, are made to rise. You know, Jesus rose again. And then he went and he left instructions for his disciples that the Spirit would come. And, and which they would baptize, and the Spirit would baptize them with a, with a breath, and there would be this fresh overflow of the Holy Spirit. And we, and we read that in Acts 2. And here, the disciples are left with, like, it seems like an ash heap. Because, you know, they, they lost Jesus. He was crucified, and then Jesus got resurrected, and then he's back, and let's celebrate. And they have fish sticks together with him, and they, they celebrate this. And then Jesus leaves again. And the early church, the future of the church, is left to these disciples. And Jesus just left. And then he says, go wait in an upper room. And a bunch of them, like, we're out. Peace out. Like, we're not waiting in some upper room. You know, like, it smells up there. Like, whatever the reason was, they didn't wait. So 120 waited in that room. And... Um, and then Peter, you know, he's lifted, and he, he actually stands up, and he preaches, and 3,000 are like, what must we do to be saved? But I want to draw you to one fact tonight about rising. is the fact that we weren't just made to rise, but I believe the very DNA, the very DNA of Jesus was made for us to lift others. Our rising happens when we lift others when we raise others up. See, we're made to rise, we're made to do great exploits for God, but there's something when we lift others up. When, when we're made to push others onto the platform, others in ways, to bring others that have been separated from the great divide, from sin, from darkness, to find others and say, listen, you need to know Jesus, he changes everything. See, that's our mandate. That's a commission on each one of us, not just those on a stage, but every single one of us to be evangelists, to be people that lift others. The gospel has this ability like no other thing to do this. Um, Yari has shared books with me about this, how the gospel can go into cultures and, and change the economies of nations, how the Bible, the word of God, has the power to change things. And they've, they've documented, these aren't Christian people. These are, these are smart people that have gone and say, what changed in this land? Oh, it was the introduction of the Bible. See, that's what happens when good news comes. See, the gospel has an ability to affect the culture and the economy and, and all areas of life. It's the gospel. It's good news. See, it's not just to be people that arose, but a church that's knowing that we bring a lot of people and we raise up a lot of people. That's what we're about. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of this word. And, and when I think of lifting someone up, I think of, uh, you ever see, I don't know, on YouTube or you've probably seen it in person, people that aren't very good with kids. They're just, they're not very good with kids. And maybe it's their first time holding up a baby. Maybe it's that first time and they're like giving the baby and it's like awkward and they don't know what to do. And it's like, okay, you've never been around a child. And um, it's so awkward. I grew up with a lot of nieces and nephews. And so I learned at a young age how to hold a baby. So I'm good in that department. I know that you have to like support the neck and, and all these things. So I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. And, um, but if I'm going to be honest with you, there's, um, 
something I didn't learn growing up. What I didn't learn growing up is I'm not a pet person. And I am not comfortable around pets at all. And I think it stems back to an experience I had, and I've shared this experience before. But I grew up in Sweetgrass, a community in Edmonton. And I remember being on my BMX bike. Travi was just cruising on his BMX bike. It was a sunny day, and I'm out there just cruising, pedal to the metal, like flying down the sidewalk. And across the sidewalk is this David guy. And he's older. He's a bit cooler than me. He's on rollerblades. And I remember seeing him, and he's holding his golden retriever. And they're out for a run or a rollerblade. And the golden retriever saw Travi. Travi saw the golden retriever. Wasn't good. Golden retriever wanted a piece of Travi's nice, white, skinny leg. So Travi turned up the speed, and I pedaled faster. And I start pedaling. David pulled back on, the, on the, the leash. That didn't do anything. The dog pulled him down that little thing on the sidewalk, you know, the little dip onto the road. Well, he lost control, let go of the leash. The leash goes flying. The dog, it comes leaping towards me. Um, I run. I, I keep, like, pedaling. I'm pedaling as fast. I'm standing now. I mean, I'm embracing for impact. And can I say the dog won that day? He left with a chunk of my leg, and I had to go get a rabies shot or get tested for rabies. And so ever since then, I don't like dogs. I don't like pets. Why do we need them? I don't know. I'm just not there. I'm just, that's not my page. And then time goes by, and I get used to it, and, and people love pets and, and dogs, and I, and I understand it, but I just, I'm not that kind of person. So a year ago, I'm praying to meet someone that I want to date. And I meet Jess. First few dates go well. And she goes, so I have a dog. You have a what? I have a dog. I really like my dog. It's a package deal. Love her. So I'm like, uh-oh. So I keep, I keep doing you know, the dates. And I'm like, OK, we haven't met the dog yet. So we'll just keep pretending it's not there. And, um, and I'll just, I'll put my fear aside, and this is going well. And then along comes the time to meet the parents. And so meeting the parents, meeting my parents was easy. It went really easy because I know my parents. So we went there, super easy, great. They like her, really great. Then it's time to meet her parents. So if anyone's ever had to do this, you know the stress you go through. I mean, I was like, well, what do I wear? What do I wear to this meet the parents thing? Like, it's a casual dinner at their house, but like, do I wear a nice shirt or do I wear a t-shirt? Because I don't want to like be too overdressed, but I don't want to be slobby either. And so I get, I'm uh, like getting all ready. I'm stressing for a week. I get in my vehicle. I mean, I already got the pancakes going on under my arms. I'm like sweating. I, I, I get to the, you know, walk to the house and I'm like, okay, I got a plant for Jess's mom and, and, and you know, or, uh, flowers or a plant. I, I picked up something and, I, you know, want to make a good impression. And I mean, you never know what the dad's going to be like. Like he could have a shotgun outside. You hear these stories. So it's kind of scary. And so I go up to the door, and just as I'm like, I ring the doorbell, I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. 
Jess is great. Her family's going to be amazing. This will be great. Talk myself into it. And all of a sudden, I hear barking. Ruff, 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 like killer dogs behind the door. <laughs> like killer dogs. Like I am going to die. And all of a sudden, it's like three dogs barking and barking. And finally, Jess comes to the door, and I'm like, hi, here's a plant. And I'm just like totally out of it because it, it threw me off. And so as the door opens, the dogs are like leaping on me and, and, and one pees on the, on the rug. And I mean, they're so excited to see me and, and, and trying to probably kill me. I'm not sure what's happening, but it is chaos. I was a hot mess. Like I was like, I was just like, huh, oh, oh, oh. I was like this. I don't even know if I said hi to Jess's parents. I didn't even know what to say. I was so thrown off. And I'm like, here's a plant. And I honestly don't know if I said hi. I think I said hi. And they had a lovely home. And, and so I get in. I, they're like, dogs are all over licking me. And I'm just trying to like, to like catch my breath. I get into the house. I'm trying to like make pleasantries. And oh, you have a really nice house. And just, just get to know them. And they're amazing people, amazing family. And I'm in there. And all of a sudden, Jess comes over and says, oh, you should pick up honey, my dog. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. I kind of like do the ignore thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Oh, what's over there? You know, I'll like try to get out of this because I am not picking up. But like I, I just, what am I going to do? So what I finally, her dad comes over and says, you should pick up honey. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so do you remember Lion King? The moment with Simba where there's this, this like triumphal Simba is raised up over the canyon, and it's like incredible? Well, this was not that. <laughs> this was not even close to that. This was as far opposite. This was the most awkward way you could hold a dog. I was like this, <laughs> trying to make sure it didn't bite me or lick me or something or pee on me or I don't know. I was so nervous. And then if, if there's one thing I did even worse than this, I go, I think it likes me. She goes, it's not an it, it's a she. I'm like, this is going bad. <laughs> See, it was so awkward. And, and sometimes lifting stuff can be so awkward and how we do it. And, 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 I, and again, her family was amazing. They're watching online. I love you. And, um, and the funny part is, and now I've grown to love a dog. And so I want you to see this killer dog that tried to kill me. Um, this is Honey, and this is the attack dog that I survived. And so I am growing in my love for Honey. She came over to my house last week, week before, spent the day at my house for us to bond. And so I left the house, I came back, and I'm like, where's Honey, where are you? Nothing. So I go upstairs into my room, and she's on my bed, which I'm like, okay, easy. Can you, like, go to your bed? Why are you on my bed? She's on the pillow, not just on the bed, on the pillow, staring at the wall. I'm like, she's in prayer. She's like an intercessor. She's just praying on the wall. She's, she's this is amazing. I have a prayer dog that I'm, you know, going to be adopting soon. Like, this is crazy. So I text Jess the picture. All this is great. Wow. And she goes, yeah, that's awesome. It's so cute. Later that night, Honey goes home, I go to bed, and I realized the reason she was on my pillow 
was she buried a bone under my pillow, and she was guarding it. I'm like, she's not, no prayer warrior. I was so disappointed, but we're working on the prayer part. But that's my journey with dogs. It's growing. It's, uh, it's evolving. And uh, unrelated to dogs, but can you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3? Acts chapter 3. And in, in Acts, you know, in the subject of lifting, how we lift others up, we see this incredible story of Peter and John. And it starts here. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Everybody say Beautiful. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the temple gate, beautiful. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. And they came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. Verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know made strong, it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. That's what Peter was saying. See, Peter and John had to leave their place in the upper room for this story to take place. They had to leave the service. They had to leave the Pentecostal breakthrough where 3,000 were getting saved for this story to happen. They'd been radically impacted. They'd been lifted themselves and their spirit. They were so fired up. They were lifted. I mean, now they had been with Jesus, and he had commissioned them and, and to go out. And, and here the resurrected power is in them. But see, the first key to this all is in order to rise, I believe we must behold him. We must behold him. We must behold him, to look at him, have a revelation of him. You know, I think of John, later on in his life, he actually wrote the book of Revelation. He had a revelation of Jesus. It said that on the island of Patmos, he was incarcerated. They say he was around 90 years old when he had this revelation that we read about in the book of Revelation. And, and it's interesting because the Bible says in Revelation 1 that he had a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. See, at 90 years old, it wasn't a stale thing. It wasn't a week old. It wasn't 50 years old. It was a fresh revelation of Jesus. He had this fresh revelation. And I love what the Bible says this, that he had, it was the word of God and testimony. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But if we're going to rise again, if we're going to have vision, if we're going to have fresh revelation, if we're going to see what God wants us to see, we have to first see him. 
We have to see him. Not, not, not the storm, not the waves, not COVID-19, because we see a lot of that. But whose eyes are we looking at? I love the song that Karis just released, Behold. And it says here, and the notes are here, it says, whoa. Whoa. Um, we become what we behold, so we look to you, Jesus. We become what we behold. If we're going to become people that are rising again, we have to look to the one that rose from the cross. Are we looking in his eyes? Have we caught a gaze of him in this season? There's a lot of noise right now. There's a lot of arguments. There's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot going on in the kingdom and on Facebook and in culture right now. The question is, whose eyes are we looking at? Do we behold his eyes? Do we behold the one that changed everything? Do we behold the one that rose from the dead, that conquered death, that conquered sin? Do we behold him? We have to behold him. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? You know, I'll pause for a second and, and just talk two seconds about our album. This, is, um, this isn't just an album that got released today. This was a journey. This was a process. And I can tell you our lead team, you can ask everyone, we sat in uh, lead team retreats for maybe the last seven years, five to seven years. And we would dream about different areas of resurgence. One of those areas was resurgence worship, resurgence music, whatever you call it. I remember it was on my wall for years, and it was this, this idea of could we write songs? Could our songs be on an album? Could this be uh, something that we release? And for seven years, this has been in works. For seven years, this has been a process. For seven years, this has been a dream that we've been just, just putting before the Lord. We've been praying over. And Karis and the team have been just pouring time into it. Rob and Joe Batke just said, hey, we're in. And they helped produce it and, and do so much to make this possible. It wouldn't be possible without them. And I just say thank you to them. I text Rob today and just said thank you guys. Because they made it possible. But I also want to acknowledge Karis in a big way. Karis, would you come stand here? I don't know, maybe down front where the glory comes out. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I want to publicly acknowledge you. Because you have poured in to so many and I felt like God say as I prepared this message, you are a mother of dreams, of songs, of musicians, of those guys over there and more and more that aren't here and those that, and you have been faithful. You, people might not know this, but in 2008, Karis um, was on our lead team and Karis is the longest serving member of our resurgence lead team. And you've been faithfully there. And I remember we met at a Starbucks in Millwoods, and I said, I got this crazy idea. I first saw you about a year before bebopping at the back of a church in Calgary. And I met you, and you're like, hi, I'm Karis, and you're just going for it. And I'm who is this? And then we're going to launch Resurgence, and I think Tara, someone said, you got to meet with Karis. I'm like, okay, I don't really know her, but let's meet. I remember her bebopping. Um, but I, I just want to publicly honor you on behalf of our lead team because this album isn't just um, 
a thing that you've done to get yourself famous. You've laid down you. You had albums and works that actually got paused and you just felt no. And you have put time and energy into this. You have prayed over this. This is a big deal. And I just honor you for that. And I honor for you for your faithfulness. Because when I think of beholding that the title of this, you're someone that has beheld him. You've seen him. And you've wanted it to be about him from the beginning. And that's your heart. And uh, why don't you extend your hand towards Karis. I just, God, I just thank you right now for Karis. I thank you for her faithfulness. I thank you that she's a model. I thank you that, God, you have done so much in her. And I thank you for her journey, her process. And I just, as a brother, God, as a leader of this, I just say thank you. I honor it and I call forth every dream that's still in her heart that hasn't been fulfilled. We call it forth like the key around her neck. Let it be turned into the key tonight. And I thank you that this album and the songs will go to places. And I thank you it's just the beginning. I pray an anointing on her, a fresh anointing to go to the nations for nations and missions. And we just thank you that she'd be a mama bear all over the place. And, 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 and the cubs, there would be more cubs coming into the den in this season. We just pray forth an ability to raise up many. We just thank you for her, Jesus. Amen. Karis, we just wanted to give you a small token of... What do you get, Karis? You get her flowers. What kind of flowers? Karis likes all sorts of colorful flowers. So that's what you do. You get colorful flowers. And Karis, we're so thankful for you. And, you know, John is on this island. And it's, he says, I'm on the island because of the word of God, but also because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. I, I find that very interesting. He wasn't just on the island because of the word. He had the Bible, he pre but it was because the testimony of what happened with the word. I find that so interesting. And, you know, um, years before in Acts 3, Peter and John, you know, um, not years before, but Peter and John, uh, just before this, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're filled in that upper room. They walk out of the upper room maybe a day or two before. We don't know the exact time, not years, a couple days maybe. And we got lame guy sitting at a gate called Beautiful. I find it kind of ironical because lame guy is at a gate called Beautiful, but he's not very beautiful. And the Bible says that from birth, something happened probably in the womb. It says from birth he was lame. See, everyone around him could walk. Everyone around him could have life. Everyone around him could go to the temple. But he was reduced to begging, just hoping somebody would give him a loony, a toonie, whatever it was in that day, a denarii, somebody. And the irony of this moment is he's reduced to just begging. It's funny how if we don't deal with the pain of our upbringing, it can last into our later years. His whole life, had that pain from what happened in the womb. And it reminds me when I read that story, what's the wounds in my heart that need to be healed? Because if I'm not careful, I can walk through life with those wounds from growing up, from <laughs> getting chased by a dog, well, whatever it is, the bigger things. And um, every day this guy begs. His mindset is to beg. He's just hoping for money. And he never expected more than that. They say this, that, there, that the ordinariness 
is the enemy of miracles. Ordinariness is the enemy of miracles. And I wonder how many times we come to the temple courts, how many times we come to, to God's house, how many times we come to a prayer meeting, me being guilty of it, and we're, we expect the ordinary, but not expect the miraculous. And he had this expectation, and I think for him it was a bit of woe is me, a bit of a victim. And it's in this context, Peter and John stroll by. And they're coming by, maybe they just bought a latte, they're just like, we had a like ministry blowout, 3,000 got saved, let's go get a latte, this is unbelievable, my gram is blowing up, like this is amazing, I mean they're just having a time. And they're rolling down. They just spent their money on the latte. And all of a sudden, this guy's lame at the gate. And he calls out to them. And the Bible says that Peter, they both, they looked at him. See, I think the next key to rising again is we actually look. See, if we want to rise from this moment of history, if we want to rise from what this pandemic has done to us, can I suggest we have to have the word of God in us? Uh, That is central. We have to have prayer that's central. They were going to a prayer meeting, coming from a prayer thing. Prayer has to be key. Prayer is the foundation. The word of God is key. Um, But then we need to look beyond ourselves. And they looked. They looked at him. They didn't just do their own, their own thing, but they looked at him. They saw him. They saw a need. They saw what was happening in front of them. They opened their eyes to what was in their vicinity. You know, Moses, God said to Moses, what's in your hand, Moses? And so many times we look for other things when something that is right in front of us. And they look at him. See, it's got to look beyond themselves. It's not about their self-interest. It's about others. See, Peter had just saw 3,000. He was, he was on a high horse probably about that, to be honest. And yet he looked. And I, I think the greatest attack we have now on rising again, I, I guess, would be self. How are we going to rise again? How am I going to recover? How am I going to do I, I, I? And isn't it so easy to be so, so focused on us? So focused on our things, our lives, our, you know, Frank Sinatra sings this song, My Way. I always think of that, my way. And it's always about so easy to be focused on me. I think, you know, if we look at the Bible, the most selfish scripture in Bible is found in Isaiah 39. And Isaiah delivers the word of God to this guy, Hezekiah. And Every, he basically says, everything in your palace, your gold, your spices, your finest things, you have all this, you're like loaded, you're making a rain, you have everything. Here's the deal, you're going to lose it all. All your sons, all your daughters, all your spices, all your stuff, your, your cinnamon sticks, they're all going away. You're losing it all. Even the cayenne pepper's going too. And your kids, and their kids. And they're going to be made eunuchs. That's not good news. And they're all going to be gone. It's going to be bad. And here's what Hezekiah says to this. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. (laughs) 
Isn't that hard to believe that someone could say that? I mean, you're going to lose all your kids and everyone else is, you're going to lose everything. You have no legacy. It's all going to be taken to Babylon. Oh, but there'll be peace in my lifetime. To heck with them. <laughs> Isn't it so selfish? What's the point of everything he had? If he had nothing to leave, no legacy, nothing beyond himself. See, I don't think if, if we don't settle us before God, if we don't settle, if I don't settle Travis before God, if we don't settle Dean before God, if we don't settle um, Kimmy before God, if we don't know who we are before God, we'll never know our identity in him. And we'll always be struggling for significance, always be struggling for success, always be struggling, comparing for something else to be valued. Where we fight for the need to be right, advancing a kingdom that sometimes doesn't even look like his kingdom. And I, I think we see this more than ever right now. Um, I see many leaders right now getting into debates getting into the fray, getting into things as divisive topics, and there's a political spirit that's going on right now. And I think it's trying to take people off mission. That's what I sense. Because the mission is to, is to take the good news of Jesus to the world. It's the Great Commission. That's our call. That's our purpose. And I think we can get caught up in trying to conquer a world and we have to try to defend this thing when he's got the whole world in his hands already. And we just got to be kingdom people. God didn't come tell us to conquer the world. He said love the world. He came to love. He, he came and he demonstrated a guy on a cross of God that gave his son for every one of us. And I believe in this day, it's not a time to be trying to... Um, keep something and, and preserve something and preserve something that's not even his. We got to know what the Father wants us doing and we need to be doing that. And so I just want to, I want to speak to that and say, see, we got to know what we're fighting for. We're losing sight of the Great Commission. We're commissioned to, 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 for, for the Holy Spirit to come in us, to rise, but then to lift others. And I think if we're not careful, we'll look at ourselves. We'll look at us. We'll be focused on, oh, what about my dream? What about my purpose? What about, what about all my stuff? Actually, God, what do you want me to do? What does my father want me to do? Because I don't want to be busy just doing stuff. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, oh, yeah, it was all about me. Thanks. Because life's too short for that. I want to make the biggest impact. I want to know, how do I position myself? You know, I know Billy Graham used to say, I, he goes, I got out of politics and I got out trying to get involved in things because I noticed it took my voice away from people reaching, finding Jesus. When I got involved in all the other stuff, he had a couple incidents of that, and from then on, he didn't get involved at all. He just preached Jesus. Because he said, I don't want to get into that argument. I just want to preach Jesus. And, and I think we need to not look at the storm right now, but we've got to make sure we're beholding him right now. We've got to not be looking at us right now, but we've got to be holding him, get his gaze, know what we become because we're seeing him. We're, we're glancing at him. See, are we worried about us and the pandemic or the generations after us? What kind of legacy are we doing? You go, oh, I'm 25 years old. What do you mean you're talking about legacy? It's time to start talking about it now. It's not too late. Who are you raising up? 
Who are you mentoring? Who are you pouring into right now? Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a... You, you can influence somebody. The greatest people in my life, and I was, I was telling Justice this week, there were some youth leaders when I was 16 years old. They called me every week, and they said, how are you doing? How's your Bible reading doing? How are you doing? You know what? They cared. They cared, and they loved me, and they supported me. They, weren't, they were business people. They weren't pastors. They were just people that volunteered, and it impacted my life. Who are the people around us that we can influence, that we can lift when we look in this Christmas season? Who, who's in need right now? Is there somebody, oh, well, we have to wear masks and we have to do all these things. You can still show love. You can send a skip the dishes. There's ways that you can drop something off on a door. You can send a card in the mail. You can send a message. Maybe it's a message of encouragement. This week I spent some time and I said, God, who do I need to encourage? And I start writing Facebook messages, text messages to people. Who, who, who can I encourage today? You know, when you start encouraging, when you live to give, it actually, you, you don't become that dead sea. You, you, you start to get life in you. The more you give, the more life you get. And so sometimes an attitude of gratitude, and all these one-liners, but sometimes when you get that, it starts to flow in you and you realize what you can be thankful for. So I just want to encourage you, you know, who around us can we look at? Sometimes we so focus on us, I sinned, I failed, I, I need help, God, all these things. But here's the reality of the gospel is that Jesus saved us. Jesus healed us. It's not about us in the end, it's about him the whole time. See, we have to know our value in him. Our significance has to be in him. It is in him that I move and I live and I have being. It's in him. I can relate to Hezekiah's temptation in my own heart. <laughs> I see how it's easy to try to preserve me in COVID-19. How I can look out for me. But I feel like God's saying, how do we look out for our neighbor? How do we care for those around us? How do we not be inward trying to preserve us? but help someone else see somebody. I think in our secular humanistic culture right now, it's infiltrated the church. And I think we, we you know, significance, happiness, purpose. And I, th I think the church at time, we can be focused on us than rather what the book says. I don't think um, anything shows us selfishness more than being in relationship with people when we're around friends and if we're around people and you know I, I'm around say Dean and stuff and there, there's times we're on trips or something and it's like you can't be too selfish but I also go home to my house Dean goes home to his house it, it, we don't rub that close but when you start dating someone <laughs> it's easy to see how selfish you are because for a long time, I could do what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. I can leave the dishes in the dishwasher the whole week and just use the dishes that I need when I need them. I don't have to put them in the cupboard. Why put them in the cupboard? But then when my fiancé comes over and says, why are the dishes still in there and why did you leave them in the last time I was here? I'm like, oh, I just do that. So I rerun the same load is what she's saying. So that's a waste of water. So why would you want to do that? So 
you learn things. And it's in, if someone were to ask Jess and I, what's the thing that we've learned in this year? Has been selfishness. How to get over selfish, how, how selfish I am. How selfish she, how, how you become one in this journey. Okay, I'm selfish. <laughs> but how you, how you become one, how you grow towards that. Married people that I've talked to, I, I met, I've been meeting with tons of married people. I'm like, how do you do it? I don't know anything about getting married. Help me. And this one guy told me two weeks, three weeks ago, he said this. Here's what you want to do. Is you want to wake up and every day you want to say, how do I bless her? How do you fill her tank, and how does she do the same for you? And I'm like, wow, that's a good, like, how, how do I, you know, how, how do I bless the other person? How do, how do I be kind? How do I, how do I know that their love language, I'm, you know, words of affirmation, and she's something, how do we, how do, we do that? And I, and I think that's where selfishness gets tested. <laughs> All the married people are like, mm-hmm. All the single people are like, what? But here's the thing. God wants us to lift others, to not just focus on ourselves. I think that's what leadership is. I think leadership looks like, and I remember, you know, when I followed the call of God in ministry, it was sitting in the front row saying, I want to see people go higher and further than us. I think that's the call on resurgence. That's the call in this room. We've been going for 12 years, and I was sharing this the other day. Here's the, the reality, is we could just have a great service, and we could just have a great live stream, and we could just do a service. But when we started 12 years ago, there wasn't services like resurgence happening in Edmonton. This was different. And so people came, and they were like, oh, this is great. I don't get this at my church. and I can just spend more time in worship. But now we have other churches in our city that are amazing, that are similar, and they're doing some crazy stuff. Here's the thing about resurgence. We're not just called to do a service. We're called to lift a generation of leaders that are going to go further and farther than us. We're, we're going to rise by lifting others. That's the heartbeat. That's why Ezekiel went to a valley. It wasn't just so he could lift some people, but he could lift an army that's going to make an impact. He, the whole house of Israel was cut off, but there was hope going to come to a whole house of Israel, and then they would be hope to the nations. See, it's not just a dead end, but every one of us are called to give hope. Every one of us are called to be instruments of giving peace and joy and love. Karis, could I invite you to come? And um, as, I, as I close this story, you know, I think that's why Joseph could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's a trusting God is key. Do we trust him? I think a lack of a selfishness comes down to a lack of trust in God. Do we really trust him? Do, do, do we know that he trusts us, but do we trust him? You know, Peter says to lame guy, look at us. Lame guy goes, I'm going to get rich today. <laughs> Maybe I'm getting a toonie. Didn't get a toonie. He says, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have, take my hand. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps up. And there is this rising of the lame guy. Jumping and leaping and, and testifying of what God just did. 
They didn't declare, they didn't pray long prayers, they just took his hand and said, in the name of Jesus. There was a faith moment. I want to suggest that the lifter of her head not only pulls us out of a pit, not only puts the Spirit of God in us, but calls every one of us to grab hands of people around us and say, get up and walk. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you're hopeless tonight. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, you have the suicidal thoughts. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, you're lame. Get out of that wheelchair and come and walk. That's the power of the gospel. That's what Jesus does. That's the rising again of his spirit. We're not just made for us. We're made to lift others. And a rising happens when we lift others. I love about the story is the after party. It becomes a hot mess. Because lame guy... I mean, he starts doing the Cupid shuffle. I mean, he's like just just dancing in the street. He's like doing all these things. He's dancing, Macarena, wherever, you know, he's doing it all. Don't laugh at me, who cares? I just gave you flowers. <laughs> and people knew him. People knew, and they were in wonder and amaze. And I love this because the wise people have an issue with this. And if you read this in Acts, they have an issue with Peter and John. They're like, you broke rules and all this stuff. And, and it says later in Acts, it says this. But when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were ordinary men, they were astonished and took note. These men were with Jesus. Would it be said of every one of us watching tonight and every one of us in this room, those people were with Jesus. They had an incredible courage. They weren't just filled with the Spirit and had a great time at a service, but they walked out of the door and people in the community saw that they were with Jesus. And then it says this, they could say nothing. They could say nothing because a man standing there with them was standing there with them. There was nothing they could say. The testimony was standing right there. I like T.D. Jakes says, you know, we've taught people in a church about deliverance, a blessing, but we've not taught people properly about struggle, about trial, about coming through the valley. We taught that God would immediately stop what you're struggling with, but not anoint you to be in the middle of it. And I want to suggest that in this season, God is teaching us what struggle looks like and how he's with us in it. It's not just to get out of it. It's to go through it with him. And a testimony is a test. That's where the word testimony comes out of. I think of the revivals in the 1900s, 1923, Charles Price, and all the revival books. If you study revivals, here's the hallmark of revivals. They had testimony time. They all had testimony time, open mic time. I mean, that's a nightmare of any pastor today. It's like, hey, let's pass the mic around. And somebody grabs the mic and talks for half, and you're like, ah, can I get it back, please? So they just shut that down because we don't, that's hard. But in those revivals, they would actually say, has anybody got a testimony tonight? And Sister Sally would have a testimony, well, God healed me in the last meeting. 
And then they would go, who else needs healing right now? And the healing would fall in the room. Why? Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And it would break out. And in revivals, you'd see this all the time. Here's the thing. I think we've lost our testimony. See, John said that the revelation came with the word of God and a testimony. What is your story? What is a story on you? I used to think my story was insignificant, didn't matter. I had no story. But listen, God wants to stop, uh, take the, the mask off our, our voice and say, stop not speaking. It's time to share your story. It's time to share what God has done in and through you and is going to do in you because it declares a what he's going to do in someone else. It's time to declare the word for someone else. See, people are seeing no evidence in our services and no evidence in our lives. In the court of law, what they call a witness is brought to the stand with evidence. I think we've lost our witness. And we have the word of God, and I'm, we need the word of God. The word of God is key, but I love how it says the word of God and testimony because the word of God produces fruit. And it's time to start showing our fruit. What God's doing, what he's going to do, it's going to be, we're going to start talking about it. And it's time to break off fear. It's time to break off doubt. Well, that's just a small little thing he did. We'll celebrate the small and they're going to get bigger. I believe if we, if we give honor to what God's done, there's going to be more that comes. close tonight and we're going to go back into worship and sing and, and then we're going to end and um, but as I was praying last night in my house and I just prayed this message or yesterday afternoon I just felt this thing come over me about the king has come and we come into Christmas we come into the story and the story of Mary God trusted this virgin Mary with the son. And in the Virgin Mary, she was blessed as the favorite of the Lord. And it says that Mary had all these plans and all these dreams for her life, but in that moment the angel came, it got hijacked. But she was favored of the Lord. Why? Because God trusted Mary. Mary is the only person that had Jesus in her twice. She gave birth to Jesus. She watched him go through his life, the crucifixion. I can't imagine a mom watching her son go through that. I can't imagine that, that pain. But then in the Bible it says in Acts 2, Mary was found in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came again. Jesus came into Mary. And I can imagine, I just can imagine her body her body would know the feeling. She's probably the only one that would know that in a way that no one else could understand. And I think of Mary's story and this reality that the king has come. She gave birth to the definition of arising again. She gave birth to the definition of hope. Hope was a person, is a person. His name is Jesus. And I, I want us to be reminded, could we stand in this place? I want us to close our eyes and I want us to believe the fact tonight that you were made to rise again. 
that no matter what you're sensing tonight, no matter how hopeless you feel, no matter what wall, what dream hasn't come true, what thing is happening in your circumstance, there is hope tonight, and he is the lifter of your head, and he wants to raise you up from the ashes tonight. That's what the Bible says and declares. So I declare that over every circumstance, over every valley, over every person that feels that you're in a struggle. God's anointed you. God hasn't left you. He's not forsaken you. There is hope because the King has come. And more than ever, like in this December, as we celebrate Christmas, maybe even more lonely, than we've ever had to celebrate Christmas. I don't know, but there is a reality that the King has come. Let us not miss that moment. Let us not be uh, miss beholding Him. And I want you to close your eyes and just to gaze upon Him right now. Because when we look upon Him, we become what we look upon. And I want you to behold His gaze tonight to not think of your circumstance tonight, to not think of your lack tonight, to not think of whatever, but to think of Him. Just focus your thought on Him. Focus your mind on Him. If your mind wanders, say, mind don't wander. Focus on Jesus. tonight or if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior it's the greatest decision it's why we're here Jesus can come and lift you in a way like no other it starts with a relationship with him tonight he knocks at the door of your heart and he says will you let me in so if you're watching tonight, maybe you clicked on a link tonight on Facebook I, I don't know, maybe you're watching a rerun later, it doesn't matter there's an opportunity for you to say yes to him. And I want you to just in your heart say yes. And I'm gonna pray a prayer. And when you pray this after me, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I thank you that you love me. And I receive your salvation tonight. Forgive me of my sins. Set me free from every attack of the enemy. Thank you that I'm a new creation in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Amen. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.